0: Welcome back to the cycle, friends. Super jazz. I told you we we're going to close out 2022 with a bang. And part two of that bang here is Andy Campbell, who is an intrepid beat reporter on the extremism beat. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. He's got a new book out on the Proud Boys called We Are Proud Boys. Um, how a right wing street game ushered in a new era of American extremism. And, you know, this book is just so well written, I have to say, right out the bat. I can't tell you how much I actually enjoyed reading it. And some of that is my bias, right? I um, respond best to people who write like they talk and, and use a little humor when they're especially talking about dark, dark subject matters. And, and it doesn't come darker than, you know, street gangs and, and right wing extremist groups trying to, you know, overthrow the government. So just so many great one-liners in this book that people need to check out and, and little comments that are just so great. So Andy, welcome to The Cycle. Thanks for coming on.
1: So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation.
0: I, you know, I have to tell you, I decided I was going to find a couple of these extremism beat reporters, you know, coming forward into this next year, especially, and start giving them what they deserve, the accolades they deserve for covering what has to be an absolutely, incredibly stressful beat, Um, one that can result in death penalty, uh, death threats doxing all kinds of horrible things so nobody working the beat on the extremism beat is doing so without great personal cost and i want to make sure that up front on behalf of a grateful nation i thank you and the other people who are doing this really important work to bring to light what is happening in american right-wing politics which is something that we have not seen in a long time
1: hey i really appreciate that and you know uh, so many people are, are, are getting those threats from, from so many angles right now, and, and it, it seems like it's, it's opened up from the extremism beat to just, just regular people trying to exist, especially the LGBTQ community. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it only feels like we're, we're doing a little bit of service, a little bit of help right now by, by illuminating this issue.
0: It really is. It's an important public service, and and here's the thing: it's like I, so like most people watching 2020, the cycle, the year, the time period, you know, I was like, oh, what the Proud Boys? You got the Boogaloo Boys, you know, all these things popping up. And we're gonna talk um quite a you know quite closely about the book, but I do want to add in some other some el- other elements of of why right wing militias can pose such a problem to democracies traditionally, right? And and where this next gen Genesis might be heading. But before we go to that, let's walk through the book a little bit, okay? So we start off, and you're talking about the founder of the Proud Boys, right? Who's basically your your run-of-the-mill right-wing provocateur who found his own niche in the right-wing media space, which is, by the way, one of the most profitable things you can do personally, right? If I wanted to be a, a millionaire... All I have to do is just decide I'm gonna be a right-wing provocateur, and I guarantee you within a year, I will be flying around the country with Charlie Kirk and I'll be rich, right? I mean, it's not, it's not hard to break into the space. All you if you're willing to say things that will get other people killed you know there is an element of the right wing audience that really likes that so talk about how this who founded the proud boys how he how he ends up building this organization and and basic the basic structure that you learned from your from an internal source who infiltrated
1: the gang mm-hmm, absolutely so Gavin McGuinness is who we're talking about here and Gavin McGuinness is not only the founder of the proud boys but the co-founder of Vice Media um he was super bigoted uh, at at Vice Media. And it was in the early aughts when sort of this, you know, misogyny, uh, bigotry was seen as sort of mainstream comedy at the time. And, and as Vice Media became more popular in the early aughts, um, became beholden to more advertisers, um, Gavin McGinnis's editorial voice was not seen. Uh, is something that was going to keep the company afloat, so they kind of pushed him out. But but uh, you know, up until I reached out to Vice for this book, they had some of his writings up on their site. One of one example is basically a, a a guide to date rape and getting away with it. I mean, it was just disgusting drivel. Um, and and you know, 2008, uh, he gets pushed out. But you know, you have to understand, Gavin McInnes was. Again, sort of mainstream. He was friends with David Cross, Sarah Silverman, uh, a bunch of these, you know, really popular comedians. Uh, but the difference was, is, is where the culture kind of moved on. I mean, certainly we have. Uh, problems with misogyny in mainstream media right now, but but the, the culture moved on it wasn 't as funny anymore. Gavin McGinnis decides i 'm going to double down and, and like you said, you know a lot of right wingers decided i 'm going to double down on this rhetoric and i 'm going to create myself as a victim in all of this. so Gavin brings his misogynistic audience of uh, mainly white men to his new show, the Gavin McGinnis show um, an online talk show. And it's on this show that he builds the Proud Boys in real time. It's it's kind of amazing how public all of this information is and, and how Gavin has been able to sort of position the Proud Boys as something different than they are. But but as, as he's building them on his show, he's pelting them with bigoted ideology. Uh, he says that women and especially working women are responsible for the downfall of masculinity and men. Um, he says that anyone listening to him and joining this group needs to understand that white men have an outsized role in the success of the West. So there's white supremacy there. Um, he's he's pelting them with this. But most of all, Gavin wants the Proud Boys, this new gang that he described it as, uh, to go out there and fight against the left, fight for right wing causes, do what old Republicans aren't going to go out there and do. And. Punch people. Attack them.
0: And he oh. means that literally, folks. Like, uh, So not just yes. fight. Like Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro fight for the right all day, right? What, right. <laughs> what Andy's talking about and what McKinnis was trying to do with his show and his Proud Boys word was literally get people to go out onto the streets and attack people.
1: Absolutely. He says fighting solves everything. Uh, uh, violence is the only answer. And he also made a ranking system for his gang. Uh, whose top rank is to go out and commit a significant act of violence for the cause or get arrested for the cause. The cause being GOP causes. So it's in the rule set that, that uh, you know, you commit political violence for these guys. Criminal and,
0: political violence at the level of a felony uh, is, is the ideal. Now, because you mentioned the ranking system, that is, you know, you, at least for us people who've never been in a gang, you get in a gang, you're at the lowest totem pole. You have to do things to show loyalty to the gang. And then as you do, you rank up, right? So this is not like, you know, a a new innovation is different for the Proud Boys. But the third, the third thing requires the members of the Proud Boy to do what to be able to move
1: up? The third, well, so so I, I can just give a quick rundown. The first is to say you're, uh, you're a proud boy and always say you're a proud boy even if you get fired or dumped by your girlfriend, whatever.
0: And a proud white male Western chau- chauvinist. That's right.
1: Absolutely. Second degree is perhaps the most embarrassing. Um, it requires two things. Second degree uh, is, is first, you have to go through a hazing ritual in which you are surrounded by other proud boys and punched repeatedly until you can name five breakfast cereals. <laughs> uh, it's... There are videos of this on YouTube. It looks ridiculous, but but you know, uh, Gavin says, you know this is going to raise your testosterone for battle. It's going to to make you a hardened fighter. Um it is just ridiculous. I, I, I'm
0: kind of dying to know which proud boys on their second initiation um, yelled out shredded wheat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and, uh, you know, through my research, I found that most of them are listing out c tier cereals at best. I was I mean, thinking, not...
0: right? Like, the, the, <laughs> instead of Lucky Charms, it's Lucky Loops.
1: <laughs> yeah, plain-ass plain, plain ass Cheerios, <laughs> okay, right? Okay, <laughs> no, I was right.
0: It's the third requirement that McKinnis makes on his yeah. Proud Boys that is really, really funny. So what is it?
1: You Well, you you also have to, uh, you, you were ordered not to masturbate unless you're within several feet of a woman. Uh, and it is...
0: And once I mean, a month, right? Because McGuinness yeah. has a theory, and that theory is that men are ejaculating so much that it is capped down on their rage potential. And that if he denies his group of, his merry band of morons, the ability to wank it, right? That they'll get sexually frustrated enough to go beat the shit out of Antifa,
1: right? Right, that's exactly <laughs> right. right. And, and it's, it's based on, it's based on bunk science, right? It's, there's like a study from 2001 that had a sample size of 10 that found that your testosterone levels go up when you don't masturbate. Uh, I
0: think every married woman knows that men that don't get sex become kind of difficult to hang out with,
1: dude. I think all of these guys are kind of difficult to hang out with. And and women that I've spoken to who have been tied to this group, uh, definitely they don't, they don't have prowess anywhere, whether it's socially or otherwise. So, Uh, it's definitely not helping them out. And, 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 you know, it's it's also – it's forcing them to sort of gather around each other because who else is going to hang out with these guys? I mean, it's really, really easy to join the Proud Boys. Not that easy once you latch on to that misogynist, white supremacist, uh, uh, you know, rhetoric that you're going to leave. And so it makes it difficult early on. And, of course, the third and fourth are – third is to get a tattoo – Fourth is to commit political violence for the cause. And, uh, you know, it, this is absolutely a gang. He, he called, described it as a gang the first day that he announced them. Uh, so, so it's really, you know, if you watch these videos, if you read my book, you, you will understand very quickly um, that this is not something that they should be able to distance themselves from. Now, they've done... Through relationships with the GOP, through source building with the law enforcement and the media, um, they've done a really good job. I mean, and,
0: yeah, and uh, let's let's oh. dig into that a little, Andy, because I want people to understand. Okay, like it was not an accident that Donald Trump told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by in that debate. Okay, he knew who they were. He knew what they were about. And I'm relatively sure that Roger Stone and Steve Bannon had brought him up to speed on the need for right wing militias to overthrow the government. Right. So, you know, when we think about, you know, you, and I'm so proud because I see a chapter in the book and it's, you know, the proud boys and the GOP. It doesn't mince words. It doesn't worry about fear or favor or source protection or, you know, both siderisms. What it does is it looks at this intimate relationship. The legitimization and the um, embrace of Republican outlets across the country, but particularly in New York and other places that that brought this this right wing militia, this extremist group, this this terrorist organization into the heart of the Republican Party to the point where it becomes part of Roger Stone's security escort. So talk about the Republican Party's relationship with the Proud Boys, because I know they do not want you to.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Unite the Right in 2017, a lot of Proud Boys were there, including Enrique Tarrio, um their recently former chairman who's awaiting sedition charges uh, for January 6th. But Enrique went to Unite the Right, sees uh, all the Nazis there and realizes, um, he told me this, that he realized if, you know, we are uh, if we look like just a hate group that's out there to fight, we're going to dissolve like all the rest of these groups. So in, what Enrique wanted to do was make them a more political machine. And how does he do this? Well, he had a relationship with Roger Stone and a number of other Republicans through his uh, campaigning work that he had done in Florida in Miami-Dade County. Um, and, and it's through that relationship that he got to sidle up next to Trump early and often. Roger Stone, in an interview with me, I don't even know if he knew who he was talking to when he talked to me. Roger Stone's one of those weird Trumpian guys who just kind of blathers. But he told me he'd been advising Enrique and the Proud Boys for years politically, um, showing them how to run for office, how to gain favor with other Republicans, um, and, and and also how to get out of trouble when they commit crimes. Um, 2018 uh, comes around and... Uh, Gavin McGinnis is invited to a uh, hoity-toity Republican event here in Manhattan, and uh, his Proud Boys attack people so violently um, outside that event. And what was that event, Andy,
0: just for the readers? Like, what was the the event was...
1: It, it was the uh, Metropolitan Republican Club. CLP Which is
0: it's, uh, it's actually the fanciest, just so people don't understand, because you talk about this on the, <laughs> on the, on the right. east side. Like, if you steal a sandwich, it might make the headlines, right? Like, in the right. Tony area right. of Man- where this was. And, and yet, you know, here's this. So is, this is not, this is the the heart of Rockefeller, like, formerly known Rockefeller republicanism. I mean, you can't find right. a club more, probably fucking posters of Rockefeller in there, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and, and and to to your point, it's it's so uh, it's so highfalutin up there. You know, y- this is not a place where violence happens. And Gavin McGinnis was known for the, his Proud Boys by that point. They had been on a parade of violence, so so they knew who they were inviting. Um, but but this these kinds of events um, and these kinds of relationships, like Enrique had with Roger Stone, just gave them political clout. And what that has done. Um, uh, you know on, on top of Enrique and other proud boys doing uh uh you know security work for people like ann Coulter and matt gates and other republicans it it has normalized not only the proud boys but normalized what they do and helped to normalize political violence as something not that not just violence but but you know, constitutionally protected speech. And so what those relationships have done is move the goalpost to where we today are now seeing the Proud Boys out in the field, attacking, harassing people all across the nation, even following January 6th. And there is this huge swath of Americans who believe, hey, they're out there doing, protecting the Republican party. And that's what, uh, you know, is so scary going forward is that is that we have so normalized political violence that it is seen as a justified option in regular everyday American civic life.
0: I mean, and some of that comes down to this mass psychosis event. So I always try to remind people what has happened on the other side, this, you know, um, 40% of America that doesn't seem to be moved by reality at all isn't an organic thing, okay? It was, it was an executed, built off of the Goebbels playbook, you know, 30, 40 year strategic plan that was helped a lot with the innovation of the internet and digital tech, and, you know, it's so it's not it's not an accident that people have resorted to violence. It, it comes from, I mean, if you think about this, if you legitimately believe, whether you should or not, but you do believe that this this other party has stolen the presidency and they're cheating and they're stealing all the, like, you know, that is what sets the conditions for people to be willing to commit violence. I mean, there are many, many people out there right now right. who fervently believe an act of violence is justified like almost as a wartime posture, right? So, you know, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I it, it takes so few because of the digital age that we live in right now. That You know, there are only thousands of Proud Boys. Not every American has to worry that a Proud Boy is going to knock on their door one day, although they have been known to make house calls. But because of the mass communication that we have Today, it only takes a few people to rile up thousands or millions, and 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 so we we live in this age right now where you know there are pockets of Proud Boys in different locales across the country, and they can mobilize neo Nazis, uh, members of other extremist groups to any place. And so today, for example, you you know, the Proud Boys are now mobilizing on the word of Trump and Tucker Carlson. And so you you have, for example, Tucker Carlson complaining about drag queens all summer. And week after week, the Proud Boys have joined neo-Nazis, Patriot Prayer, militia groups uh, armed with rifles at, uh, you know, row demonstrations, uh, drag queen story hours. Um, children's hospitals where trans health care is being discussed I mean th- these mobilizations are, are are possible and and the money that the proud boys make is possible because we have the ability to reach out to so many people at once and there is this huge right-wing media apparatus backing them up and celebrating them
0: yes yeah, so and it creates this great economic um incentive too right as i was talking Absolutely. about i mean you know it, it's very hard for people i think even if you have a good moral code to resist easy money and what's easy to sell is fear and hate and conspiracy i mean there's there's literally nothing that comes off of a a press that isn't, um, you know, going to overperform serious scholarship. Frankly, I, I, you look at all the the right winger accounts. I mean, they're half a million, a million, a million and a half, two million followers, and, you know, you have to have someone like Nate Silver get that to get to that level uh, in the regular info st- structure, right? So their their reach is really, you know, um, you know, in, impressive through this. So what are the Proud Boys up to post Jan six? Post, you know, you know, I think I knew they—they were all planning on Biden, you know, getting kicked out of the White House in August, and that didn't happen.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. You
0: know, once they once they got past that psychosis event, like, what are they doing now? What are what are you hearing?
1: Well, you know, so first of all, a number of their leaders are in jail awaiting seditious conspiracy charges, and that's going to be a big case coming up here in January, uh, and and you know that shows the fact that a bunch of their leaders are in jail right now and they're still mobilizing shows their resilience. And it also shows that the DOJ uh, uh, prosecutions and the Trump losses uh, uh, during this last election. Um, don't really change the underlying issue of extremist violence. I mean, we we have we have changed uh, in this country over the last six years or so to the degree that um, these guys are still allowed to mobilize because um, going forward, the Proud Boys have uh, gained some political seats. They uh, they they are. On, you know, they had run for school boards. They are members of Republican committees in Oregon and in Florida. Um, they succeeded in Enrique's vision of getting these small local seats and creating pockets of influence in, in places where they congregate. Oregon and Florida are big ones. And so they've, they've succeeded in that and they have, you know, this influence. But again, they also have the backup of people like Ann Coulter. She wrote a blog following January 6th titled, Thank God for the Proud Boys, this salivating love letter to these guys as patriotic defenders of Trumpism. And and, and so enjoying all of that support that they have from the media and politicians, they're just moving forward. And, and you know, the, the Club Q shooting happens in, in Colorado. And you would think, that after these big extremist events, like January 6th, like the Club Q shooting, that the, the Republicans might tamp down their rhetoric a little bit. They might rein in their fascist foot soldiers in the street. But no, they've pushed them forward. They've attacked the LGBTQ community even harder. And now you have people shooting at bars. Uh, that that in, There was a bar shot up in Oregon um, for, uh, that was going to have a drag queen story hour. We've had
0: power transformers out here with the North Carolina one
1: too. Just yep. I mean, there is there is political extremism, and the violence is just so normalized that you know I argue in the book that that even if the Proud Boys were somehow dissolved, and I don't think that's happening, but even if they dissolved or changed their name or somebody else took the reins of this, you know, the tip of the spear of this movement, I mean, they have they have so they have helped to so normalize political violence and they've created this playbook um, that shows how anybody can go from a bumbling gang of you know dipshits to a political force and 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 they they are really um and, and and they are they are pushing forward on this absolutely as MAGA rallies come you know start coming back I mean, we are going to see some some terrifying violence, and it's 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 sad to say, but it's uh, it's absolutely going to happen. I mean, it's already happening around us right now.
0: It uh, is, and and you know, one of the things that drives me nuts. I'm so okay. Wait, I mean, I don't know how long you've been following national politics, but there used to be an abortion doctor in Kansas, and he was murdered at a church, at his church, sitting in his service, praying to his God, shot in the head because of right wing rhetoric online you know, this is a baby murderer. He needs to be murdered, right? And I don't, I mean, for me, it was very clear. Bill O'Reilly had made um, Dr. Tiller, that's his name, um, the feature of the O'Reilly factor for months, okay? Months and months and months prior to this execution. And I don't understand why there's such a hesitation for people to attach uh, top, you know, elite level signaling and rhetoric to acts of violence on the ground. What are your thoughts about that?
1: You, you hit the nail on the head because it is it is befuddling um, that that mainstream media uh, and and really Congress has had such a hard time. Seeing the pipeline and how short it is. I mean, you talk, you say it took months and months and months. The pipeline is so short today. It took, what, hours, a couple of days between the time that Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI, Trump complaining about specific FBI agents online, and then somebody bringing a rifle to an FBI field office to shoot it up. It is, they know exactly what's happening because January 6th happened and they are still doing it. Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump, the Proud Boys are mobilizing on their words every single day, and so are all of their extremist allies. Mass shooters, you know, anybody committing violence out there. People are not doing this on a lone wolf basis. They are listening and they are mobilizing, and and it's time that somebody uh, was held responsible. And it's 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 really hard depending on the jurisdiction that they're in. You know, if the Proud Boys come to New York and commit violence these you know uh, district attorneys here and and politicians here they don't mince words they they throw the book at these guys but if you're if you're somewhere else, if you're in Texas, yeah, yeah. You're Would, in Florida?
0: That's a great question. I mean, I think I think this is a really valid point because today Ron DeSantis is hosting a anti-vaccine, misinformation, government-funded sesh that will get people killed. Because some people who have vaccinated in the past are not gonna vaccinate now because Ron DeSantis is buying in to this conspiracy that actually COVID was a conspiracy to kill all of us through vaccines. Okay. And so when we think about like Texas under Abbott, DeSantis. I think these two are the most extraordinary Trumpian modeled sitting governors with the power to execute. Do you think the Proud Boys would be able to operate with more impunity in a place like Texas?
1: Absolutely. Um, and and now I, I think that the Proud Boys, you know, they want to be in places where they're going to find more leftists to attack. However, I you know, it's it's. It's also the, the the other issue is, is that the, this is not fringe Republicans talking. I mean, you had young Republicans this last weekend in Manhattan. They hosted an event um, with all bigwigs across the GOP, and and they came together, called for total war against the left, and and Marjorie Taylor Greene went up and said if if she uh, was able to do January 6th, they would have won, she says, right? I mean, they would have been is, armed,
0: better armed.
1: The, <laughs> the, the upper echelon of the GOP is, is pushing this rhetoric. So the, the, the GOP isn't going to tamp it down. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, the, the problem for me and what keeps extremism experts up at night is that they're already operating with impunity all over. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not illegal to be a proud boy. We don't have a domestic terrorism statute, but we know from years of violence that these guys aren't going to use their demonstration permits to demonstrate. They're going to use it to attack people and, and cut off other people's free speech, including at public libraries where they're holding drag queen story hours. And and what's what's so concerning to me is that they're their ultimate goal is slowly being realized where they are trying to flood the zone with this groomer discourse about the LGBTQ community to the point where everyday uh, conversations about the LGBTQ community sees them as an inherent threat. And we're already seeing Places like the New York Times write stories that are like, there's a big debate going on about, you know, the LGBTQ community, the drag community. No, it's not a debate. One person wants to exist. The other person wants to exterminate them. Um, and, and, and so
0: yeah, it, and, is, and to be, it is and a to scary be, time. And to be clear, OK, what they mean when they say grooming is they mean we are teaching our children not to hate homosexuals okay like that's the groom that they're pissed off about that we are teaching tolerance diversity and inclusion and i think it's really fucking important for people to get that okay yes what they are saying is do not teach children to be tolerant
1: (laughs) absolutely and rachel i you know people need to hear this more because i was I was raised with, you know, in, a, in a small community where my arts and history and, and music programs were run by the sweetest queens of all time. And they, they were wonderful. And they were great for the community. And I don't think people hear enough You know, people hear that there's these extremists going out to threaten a a groomer operation at a local library when really these communities wanted them there because they're good for the community. And and parents bring their kids to these events because they're freaking awesome and they're inspiring. (laughs) I
0: got to tell you, as the mother of a special needs kid, you know, living in one of the most liberal places in America, I can tell you. Children don't need less tolerance training. They need more because it's it's Dang still, right. a, it's still a, a minefield out there. I mean, when we were kids, yes, you got beat up and not rhetorically beat up. But the, the, the rhetoric stuff is just as damaging. In fact, I would argue in many ways worse and damaging. And, uh, you know, it, it is just astounding to me how they're constantly able to manipulate our The other part of the system into normalizing the absolutely, you know, just inarguably unnormal, abnormal behaviors that they're engaged in. So, Andy, that's why I wanted to highlight your book today. Again, we are proud boys. How a Right-Wing Street Gang Ushered in a New Era of American Extremism. You should put this on your Christmas list. You should get a copy and read it. You have to know what's happening. We can't bury our heads in the sand and hope it goes away, because I can promise you other people will pay the price for our, our, our ignoring this topic. So thanks for coming on the pod today.
1: Thanks for casting light on it, and and you rock, Rachel. This has been so fun.
0: Oh, make sure you guys all follow Andy. I'll be highlighting all of his stuff in the post that goes along with this pod. Go back and make sure you follow Andy. We've got to elevate everyone willing to work on the extremism beat. I mean, I know I'm going to pay a price. I'm in proud boy heaven here in Oregon, and I don't care, right? (laughs) And I need you guys not to care, too, and to be brave and to to make sure that we're putting some disinfectant on this right-wing radicalism.